0: Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be back at Westminster to worship with you again this day. As any day we join, Glenn and I, and Mark as well, it's good to be here. Our scripture reading today is the 103rd Psalm, on which we'll base our message of the morning. Hear God's word, a Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, So that your youth is renewed like the eagle, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will always strive with us. nor will he keep his anger forever? He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes, For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, Oh, my soul. May God bless this reading to us and our understanding of it. Today, as you notice in the bulletin, I've entitled the message, Three Facts of Sin. We're all sinners here, but we're sinners saved by grace and mercy of God. The biblical truth about the word sin is in itself interesting and very arresting as we read the pages of Scripture. In David especially, as we read in this passage of Scripture, it's revealed to us where the descriptions of sin are clearly set forth. The reiteration and classification of these great facts of sin and varieties that form one of the most interesting and, I believe, impressive feature of Scripture. The Psalms will ever be the standard of understanding sin and expressing it to us, and we will see there the nature of it, its effects on us, its shades of difference, and its cure, as revealed by David. And this psalm encompasses that quite clearly. I believe this morning without the following information however about sin no man can ever understand himself nor can he understand our God. It's impossible to do so. Even the Christian who has only an ordinary idea of sin cannot truly understand himself or God unless he understands the very nature of sin as revealed in Scripture throughout. After all, the Bible itself is concerned primarily with two words, our sin and our salvation. Those are the two primary doctrines of of Scripture. No doubt, the intimate knowledge of themselves, of those Old Testament scholars as we read through the Old Testament. That which they had, everything to do with their intimate knowledge of God. David, for instance, who had the most intimate knowledge of God in his heart, and he knew his own heart that he was a sinner, and he committed great sins, as we understand Scripture, as it reveals itself to us. But he has left us with one of the most conspicuous concepts of sin, the ceaseless reiteration as you read through all of David's psalms of the outstanding facts of sin, the cause, the effects, the shades of difference, and its cure, as I remind you again. In this 103rd Psalm, verses 2 through 4, this clause forms our text today the three facts of sin. Dave has given us a nutshell, the main facts of sin. And for anyone who wishes to know and understand how our lives pivot and turns on its axis as we live our lives, we must understand the workings of God's grace and mercy as is revealed to us in Holy Scripture as well. The three words here, as we read them in those two verses, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, and who redeemeth thy life from destruction. These facts of sin, which are necessary for us to understand what David is talking about in this psalm, Are said to be three in number, I believe. First of all, we have the guilt of sin, we have the stain of sin, and we have the specific power of sin. And they correspond roughly to a degree with the text that we have before us. For instance, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, the guilt of sin, who healeth all thy diseases, the stain of sin, who delivers our life from destruction, the power of sin. So the best fact, I believe, to start with is the last, the power of sin, primarily because it has the word life in it. And if there is anything that we're interested in, in Scripture, if it bears upon our life, we are, much, we are certainly interested in it, and I am too, and I hope you are. Because it influences us, and blesses us. You know, we we feel kindly to any aspect of Scripture when we understand that it's affecting our lives. And so we look at power of sin, and the power of sin certainly affects our lives daily and throughout this life that we have to live on earth. There's an, there's an old poem that I would like to just use as an illustration this morning written by an old poet called Strife in Heaven. And the poet is walking down the street of New Jerusalem. And he comes upon a, a group of senior citizens, you might call, older people, who are discussing who deserved to be granted the understanding that they received the greatest grace of any of those there. So they begin to expose who they are and what they've done in life. And they begin to vote as to who has received the most grace. And finally, it boils down to two. The first is a man who says, well, we don't need to vote anymore. I've been a murderer. I've been a blasphemer. I've been a liar. I've been a thief. So no one on earth, really, deserves more grace than I have received. The second man very quietly said, well, I have known the Lord since I was a boy and I have lived a life of truth as much as I know I can and abided in the word of God. The vote was finally taken and you would imagine that the first man would have received the majority of votes. But now the unanimous vote went to the second man who received the most grace throughout his life it took that grace great grace of God to keep his boyhood clean to keep his early manhood from falling prey to the power of sin in that life and finally he was taken home to be with the Lord he had a life of love throughout the other man who had sown his wild wild oats and reaped bitterly from those wild oats throughout his life. He had dying grace. The second man had living grace. And that's what you and I receive when we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts and into our minds. What a blessing in that life. Where do you stand today? It takes... Absolutely depths of mercy to save some people as well as grace. You know the difference between mercy and grace, don't you? Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. None of us deserves the grace of God but by God's love and his Wanting us a part of his family, he grants us that grace, and so we are adopted into his family. The lesson to be gathered here from this old poet's poem is that the, it's a question of power, and it's a question of guilt, the power of sin and the guilt of sin in the lives of those who were expressing themselves in that poem. So we turn to this first great possibility here the power of sin you know it's it's a natural tendency for us to break away from god and go into the world's influence in our lives it's there in all of us and that was the road which david took in his life in many ways he was a murderer he was an adulterer he had committed great sins and yet god kept his life Later on, as he pursued and wrote his great psalms, and he, he knew the power of God's grace in his life, but he also knew what the great power of sin was in his life as well. And he knew very well the words uh, that he penned here in this Psalm 103, that God's hand had kept him from the destructive power of sin later on in his life, and brought him to an understanding of who he was in the grace of God, that he was a son of God adopted into the family. His life was redeemed from destruction, not like the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross next to Christ had a life of destruction, a life of sin, and it was on his deathbed that he received the grace of God. David had greater grace given to him in his life look at David for instance how could it happen he was brought up in a secluded plains of Bethlehem an innocent life as a shepherd boy uh, who was out in the country where could this shepherd boy receive that tendency to sin which he had and it was really boiling in his breast as it is in every man who is born Thus, we have an illustration of the awful, pathetic sin that can come into our lives. Because where did he get it? Well, he was born with it. David was born with it. Thus, we have the great illustration of the total depravity of every one of us. One of the great cardinal doctrines of the faith that we have, beginning with the total depravity of man. And so we as Reformed people believe in that. And so this fatal power was boiling up in David's breast. Even as he wrote the Psalms, we can not understand how he could write the Psalms as he did and also sing those Psalms and also acknowledge that he loved God. And it was raging in his breast, ready to quench the very inspiration that God had given him to sing before the very throne of God, and yet it was there. But God redeemed his life from destruction. So David's salvation, to round off the point with an analogy from the old poet, was much more thing than just forgiveness, but it was also beyond forgiveness something greater than that, He had a life of love in the hands of Almighty God. David cost grace much more than the dying thief as a result of that. Where are you in this pathway of destruction in every man's heart? Do you have the power of God unto salvation in your heart? We pray and hope you you do. There is forgiveness, and yet if there were not more, to salvation than just forgiveness. It's there. We have all thanked God for the dying thief. Have we ever thanked God for the redeeming grace that is keeping our life at this point as we continue to live it day by day, in work, in home, wherever we are? And when we thank God we are saved, do we mean we are saved from hell only? Or do we mean We are saved from something else, something more, and that's the life that we are living now in the love of God through Jesus Christ. So we move next to the stain of sin, and that stain, as we see it, it could never run through man's life without leaving its mark behind. When we sin, that stain leaves its mark wherever we are and whatever we do. You know, Nothing in the world ever works without friction. An earthquake occurs, and what does it do? It erupts the earth. A hurricane occurs, and it leaves behind it monuments for its path of broken-down trees and homes destroyed. And same way in the pathway of our lives. If we sin, it leaves a pile of ruins like melancholy monuments as we move through life. Nature, with all its strength, is a wonderfully delicate machine as it moves along. We see the rain, we see the hurricane, we see the sun, and we see other things that occur. Nothing is allowed to pass without an appalling reaction upon everyone and everything is sin. You know, history is the undying, I would say, monument of human sin. The most prominent thing on the pages of history are the stains, the stains of sin, the stains of ruling by those who lord over us. The history of the world, for the most part, has been written in the world's blood. We're seeing it yet today as we look across the pages of history and the pages of the world. The surface of society is white with leprosy. So we see the drug problem increasing. We see adultery increasing. We see broken homes because of that being occurring. Whatever the world may suffer from one of conviction of the guilt of sin, it will never be without its conviction of its stain. It's there. We see it not only there, but we see it in our faces. We see it in our body. We see it surrounding us, The stain of sin. We see it in other people's lives and in our own lives. It's a good thing, in a sense, that maybe that stain is there because it reminds us of what is wrong, what we are doing wrong if we are sinning. It's like sickness or pain. It reminds us that something's wrong. And so we can't get away from it, but it's a good thing to tell us that. And in dealing with the stain of sin, it may do very little to maim its power. It's hard to maim the power of sin. We can't do it. Only Christ can do it in our lives. But we don't need to go to society or history to see those stains They're all around us in people's lives. We see it there as well. You know, there's few more touching sights than to see a man in mature life trying to recover himself from the stains of a past life. It's very difficult for that to happen. I've seen it in ministry as we deal with people, and you have too, in in people that you know. You know, you, you, you remember well the first sin, don't you? It leaves a spot on the road. But sins, sins are more than just the one spot. Uh, they, they, they are accompanied by another sin, probably similar to the one we first committed. Then another and another, and our robes become spotted until it's very clear that we are sinners. The power of God has come to make us new and yet the stains of our garments remain and they are there. It's hard for us to give up the world. It's hard to be pure because the temptations are out there. It's hard for us to forget the pictures that are hanging in the halls of our memory we would like to forget them, and yet when we kneel down to pray, they leap out. When we come to church, probably they are still there. When we confess our sins, do we always see all of those pictures hanging in the galleries of our mind? They are there. My friends, they are there. Gee, preacher, you're painting a bad picture today. Yes, it is a bad picture, but there's a greater picture ahead that I hope to reveal. There's scarcely such a thing as an isolated sin in a man's life. Most sins are committed and continue to be committed with, with what has gone on before in our lives. It affects our life in the future. You know, It's very well illustrated in Peter's life. Peter, the stone, so to speak, of the apostles. And yet Peter, who was a very impetuous man, he didn't suddenly develop the habit of swearing at an oath when he swore in the high priest's house in the very presence of his lord probably when he was fishing the net had become tangled or the wind was not blowing right and he cooled his feelings by cursing an oath have you ever done that what about your finger when you prick it or you hit it with a hammer or something else it it reveals itself to us just as it did to Peter, the doctrine of the stain of sin is quite evident in our lives, and we fall prey to that. It doesn't stop with our lives. When we sin, it doesn't stop with our lives. Why do you say that? Every action of every man has an ancestor and a posterity in other lives. You're a father, you're a mother, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're a friend, you're a teacher, whatever you might be, the stains of life have power to spread, my friend, and do they. The stains of other lives have crossed over into our lives. If we admit it, the stains from our lives into theirs. I am a part, says the laureate, of all that I have that I've met. A hundred years hence, my friends, a hundred years from now, we all must, in a sense, live again in the thoughts, in the tendencies, in the influences, perhaps, in sins and stains in other lives. The sins of the father often influence the son or the daughter and it, it's same thing with the mother it can happen the same way now for God himself made the law and here it is made the law that the cursed must follow the breach and it will happen and even He who healeth our diseases may never interfere with the necessary stain of a sinful life. And so the man who is on his deathbed and he he is reviewing in his mind what his life has been like and he cries out, take my influence and bury it with me. But we can't do that. We are influencing other lives daily as we meet other people. He was going to be with Christ, but his influence was against him at this point. Yes, we have stains in our lives from sins. But the third one and last fact of sin is the sin of guilt. You know, we find ourselves face to face with the greatest question of sin. What has God to say to all this mass of sin? You know, I would would imagine that every one of us here today is truthful with himself or herself, that our lives bear witness to the two first facts of sin, the power of sin and the stain of sin. And when we think about it and the thought runs through our minds, we all acknowledge. And therefore, we must all acknowledge ourselves to be guilty. I am. Are you? I stand here and say you are. Whether we feel it or not, guilt is inseparable from sin. You can. not Eliminate it. Physical evil may make a man sorry, but moral evil makes him guilty. May not make him feel guilty. My friends, we are speaking of facts. We are guilty. So we are guilty for our past lives, for things that we have done. We may be sorry for the past, but it's not enough that we are sorry, my friends. We are guilty for the past. More than that, we are criminals because we have broken the law of God. That's what the literary conception of sin is. And it's altogether defective unless we own up to that fact. It's when we come to God that we learn this. When you and I come before the very throne of God and stand before his bar of justice, my friends, we are guilty. God is our father. Thank God for that. But he's also our judge. And we'll all face him as our judge. And when we know that, our sin takes on a darker coloring in our mind and in our lives. It grows larger than our life and it then kind of seems like it's infinite out there. The whole world, the whole universe in which we live is concerned in it Sin only made us recoil from ourselves. Or it should. Now, it makes us recoil from God. We are out of harmony with God. Our sins have separated us from our harmony with Almighty God. And when we look at that, we feel that the Lord has turned his back on us and he looked at Peter and he looks at us and we can do no more than Peter did and to go out and cry our tears of remorse. Bitterly. So if these experiences are foreign to our souls, we must feel our sense of guilt when we come to look at Christ. And boy, do I. Christ could not move through the world without the mere spectacle of his life stirring to the very depths the hearts of everyone whose path he crosses. Can happen. And Christ cannot move through the chamber of our thoughts without the dazzling contrast to ourselves, starting into demotion, the sense of burning shame and sin. But above all else, Christ cannot and could not die upon the cross without witnessing to all eternity of the appalling greatness of human sin. And it is the true climax of conviction which the prophet speaks of in Zechariah when he said, Thou shalt look on me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn. The conviction of sin is this, in its deepest sense. It's not a thing to talk about but it's something to feel and we feel it in the very depths of our soul. It's too deep for words. It comes, as you, if you will, as an unutterable woe upon life and it rests there in dark sorrow and heaviness till Christ speaks peace. My friends, peace. Such in outline are the three facts of sin, and they are useful in two ways. It teaches ourselves, and it teaches us God. And it's along these three lines that you will find salvation. Run your eye along the first, the power of sin, and you will understand Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus Why? Because he saves his people from their sins. That's the first. Look at the second, the stain of sin, and you will understand the righteousness of Christ. You will see the need of the one pure life, and you will be glad that he has kept his robe unspotted from the world and perfectly pure. Look at the third. And you will see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You will understand the great doctrine of the atonement of our Lord. That He, on that cross, thank God, paid the price for our sins which are forgiven through faith, which is given through the power of God's spirit working in our lives. We have seen and we do see the great power of sin in the world and possibly even in our own lives. But when we are brought to the shameful feeling in our hearts and minds And we cast ourselves upon Christ and realize nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. You know, I've been called many things in my life. I have many names I've been called. I've been called an agent of Satan. Yes, by fellow ministers some of whom you know. I've been called a rebel by some of my fellow ministers, some of whom you know. I've been called a big bird of prey by some whom I know, and one who was a lawyer for the porn industry. And as I sat at a witness stand, he called me that. Now, I will take the label of bird of prey, in a sense, but I'm not big. That's one thing I can't claim to be. But my friends in battling pornography, I guess I was a bird of prey. Because we're battling sin that was so evident in the community. But that's no longer there, it's gone by the churches of our community joining together and driving out that sin. But if you look at all three of these facts of sin, you will ultimately come to pray and utterly appreciate the great hymn that we sing quite often in our churches. And one of the verses is this, let the water and the blood from thy ribbons Oh, which flows, side which flows, be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and its power. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, what a joy it is to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. For what a Savior he is to redeem us from a life that is lost to a life that is saved by his grace and his mercy. And we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.